It seems as though chaos has unfolded over the weekend over one of Trump's executive orders. That's the focus today. Trump's executive order on the immigration ban, how the news media has handled it, how everybody, how really everybody is handling it, and I have scorn to go around for just about everybody. All this and more coming up. Monday, January 30th, 2017. This is another edition of the FritzCast. How are you all doing? For those of you who maybe didn't see it, Friday I posted up a brand new, a, a brand new, brand new episode as I tap into uh, a very, very special Jamaican sergeant at work that we refer to as Vicious for some reason. I don't know why that's in my head, but it is. Brand new episode that I call Fridays with Fritz, which will be coming out occasionally on a Friday. I'm not committing to a weekly or a monthly or a period. You know, I'm not committing to anything other than periodically. Occasionally it might come out because there's madness that happens in in doing this. And, and when you're talking about politics, the top news, policies, procedures, yada, yada, yada. There's so much information that I put that episode out on Friday, and then over the weekend, it's like a bomb went off. I have hardly been able to keep up with the entirety of the situation. But Friday's episode was about, specifically about the four executive orders that Donald Trump has signed. And today's focus is, slash was, supposed to be entirely on executive orders and the history behind them and the difference between executive orders and presidential memorandums because Donald Trump's only signed four executive orders. Spoiler, he signed three more over the weekend. Now he's up to seven. Okay, so he's up to seven executive orders. But before before this weekend, he was only up to four even though the news would have had you believe that he signed hundreds, if not thousands, that changed every facet of American human life. Now, before I dive into the executive order that was put out on immigration and pull out my sources for telling you my whole opinion on on the whole subject matter of it, I need to address how people get Way too extreme in talking about these things. All right, now I'm a politics guy. I like talking about this stuff. I like talking about how to better America and how to do it in different ways and how to do it with the government, but how much extent the government should have and how it needs to be scaled back. Uh, I don't think anybody listening to my program has a shadow of a doubt that my uh, ultimate goal in voting, in political philosophy, is to reduce the size of the government to certain extents. Maybe it's not a whole diehard libertarian, you know, taxation is theft, 
and nothing you say can prove otherwise. Uh, it, it might not be that extreme, but it's definitely not as extreme as the government should be uh, forcing us all into buying the same health care. Because health care is a human right. Because I don't believe that... I, I have yet to see a case where somebody convinced me that health services are in fact a, a an unalienable human right. Okay, so does that paint a clear picture for everybody? I, I'm I'm kind of like picky and choosy. Like I'm not over here waving the banner of conservatism, and I'm not over here waving the banner of liberalism, and I'm not acting like I know everything. I'm definitely not. I don't. I hope I don't ever come off acting like I know something entirely, and that and that my end game is to prove everybody else wrong because. That's petty. It's stupid. The person that flaunts their knowledge and sits on a high horse and acts like they know the best, especially not proving or providing any sources or anything, that is a part of the problem nowadays with political talk. Uh, I just actually read a, a, a Facebook post from my sister. I bring her up all the time, and, and now I'm kind of upset, but I can't blame her one bit. Uh, I used to steal some of her Facebook posts. I've read them, go back and listen to any number of my episodes. Uh, I'm sure a couple of times I, her Facebook posts come up periodically. She is having her husband change her Facebook password to get her off Facebook because just like a typical super white girl, she just can't even right now. And can anybody blame her? Can anybody even right now? Now, for real though, allow me to read her post for you. And I'm sure there's lots of people that are doing this right now. Uh, especially this last election cycle. I'm sure there's lots of people that went through unfriending on Facebook, unfollowing people, blocking certain things bound to happen when emotions get so high. Her post reads, Ow. Her post reads, hit your hand on the freaking desk so you can say ow and ruin your goddamn podcast. My bad. Quote, Dearest friends, I'm taking the example of a friend that I love and has taught me so much over the years. I'll be checking out of Facebook. I'm having Dave, her husband, sorry Dave, dropping your name, uh, everybody knows it's Dave now. Dave! Way to go, Dave. It's all Dave's fault. I'm having Dave change my password for me so the habit it's become won't interfere. I'm so grateful for the diverse friends I have from many religions, race, and political views. I've been blessed by it. I have learned much and attribute my open mind to it. Sadly, I can no longer stand the continuous anger and inaccurate... Information being spewed in my scrolling and the ignorance and absolute lack of willingness from anyone on both sides to try to see the other's point of view. As a way to tolerant as a way tolerant person, this has become intolerable. Okay, I, I messed that sentence up. Does everybody get that sentence? Let's let me just read it again. As a way tolerant person referring to herself, this has become dot 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 intolerable. Emphasis on the dot, dot, dot. I do it a lot. It, it stresses the point, if you get what I mean. It's a joke. Shut up. Um, my sister's very religious, so. And it isn't fit for any of our Heavenly Father's children. And so, until we can remember what 
we came here for, you know, where to find me if you need me. I do. I do know where to find you. In Arizona! How am I supposed to keep in contact with you? Through text messaging? Who does that anymore? And are you going to still listen to my podcast? Because I post the updates on Facebook. Are you still, still going to click your little SoundCloud app on your phone? Do you even have the SoundCloud app? Yeah, you probably do. You listen to it. I know you're listening to it right now. Hi, how you doing? She has a point. She has an excellent point. How 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 divided are we becoming as a nation? Because it is it's become a game of such absolutes. When did this become a game of absolutes, people? We're supposed to be encouraging discussion and debate, and nobody can do it anymore. It's a game of absolutes. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. Thank you, Obi-Wan. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. It's like you can't win. And this plays into this plays into a, a great deal of frustrating narrative that's been going on since prior to the election and immediately following the election. It's like people who voted for Donald Trump automatically condemned for anything the guy might do now. And people haven't taken the time to objectively step back and say, you know what? The people that voted for him didn't necessarily vote for X, Y, and Z. Maybe they voted for him for these purposes over here. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to look at things objectively because your first response to anything, almost undoubtedly, for, mo- for most people, is going to be emotional. It's going to be emotional. Let's, let, let me break some things down before I even dive into the details of the executive order and some statistics for you. I have seen people posting on Facebook and talking about we were never supposed to forget 9-11, and look how much people have forgotten 9-11 now. And that's an emotional response, but you know what my emotional response to that is? Saudi Arabia, which is, by the way, conveniently missing from this blanket ban. That's just one facet though that's that's how some people respond other people are responding about how if you say quote or hashtag all lives matter but you it, it show people screaming at little babies from the middle eastern region saying all lives matter now shut up and stay out of my country that is also let's be objective that is also extreme You know what else is also extreme is the fact that the media and Twitter and movements just automatically dubbed it as a Muslim ban. Again, emotional reactions to things and and it's easier to, to brand things and hashtag things and get people angry or talking about it in this direction or that direction. And at the end of the day, here I am, sitting in the middle, seeing nothing but a great divide. 
among the people. Because it has to be absolute this way or absolute that way. And I'm telling you right now, this absolutes this way, that way, left, right, liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican. It's getting old and it is actually... I've got two fingers up in the air pointing downward. It's actually all part of this current chaos. I'm establishing new vetting measures to keep radical Islamic terrorists out of the United States of America. We don't want them here. We want to ensure that we are not admitting into our country the very threats our soldiers are fighting overseas. We only want to admit those into our country who will support our country and love deeply our people. And this is the protection of the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the United States. We all know what that means. Protection of the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the United States. Big stuff. Now that was President Donald Trump explaining the executive order that was signed January 28th. And the wording of that order comes as such. Protecting the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the United States by the authority vested in me as president by the Constitution and laws of the United States of America, including the Immigration and Nationality Act, INA, 8 U.S.C. 1101, Section 301 of Title III, United States Code, and to protect the American people from terrorist attacks by foreign nationals admitted to the United States is hereby ordered as follows. Let me dive into Section 1. Purpose. The visa issuance process plays a crucial role in detecting individuals with terrorist ties and stopping them from entering the United States. Perhaps in no instance was this more apparent than the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, when State Department policy prevented consular officers from properly scrutinizing the visa applica- applications of several of the 19 foreign nationals who went on to murder nearly 3,000 Americans. And while the visa issuance process was reviewed and amended after the September 11 attacks to better detect would-be terrorists from receiving visas, these measures did not stop attacks by foreign nationals who were admitted to the United States. I want you to keep 9-11 in mind for a moment while I continue on. This order is, uh, is a 90-day standing order that bans all people hailing from Iraq, Syria, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Yemen. They were countries named in a 2016 law concerning immigration visas as countries of concern under Obama's administration. So, what you're hearing in the news about, oh, Obama's the administration that picked these ones and referred them to Trump. They didn't refer them to Trump. They were just named as countries of concern. The executive order bans those fleeing war-torn Syria indefinitely for the next 120 days, I do believe. Now, people have been looking at history and saying, well, when it, when this has happened before. People are getting soft. 
people don't care anymore. People forgot 9-11, all this, all this business. Now, my, my biggest takeaway, obviously, is that Saudi Arabia is not on this list, and Saudi Arabia is primarily where the 9-11 hijackers came from. Okay, now, like, for example, George Bush suspended refugee emissions for three months after the September 11th, 2001 terror attacks, which nobody would have argued with. And nobody did argue with because we had a, a, a huge, major terrorist attack. And George Bush's ban for the three-month period was all refugee emissions, period, the end. Not specific countries. The biggest thing I can find that people are up in arms over and why they dubbed it a Muslim ban is because it's seven countries specifically named all Muslim majority. Now, uh, for those saying that it's automatically a Muslim ban, I, I hate to tell you this, the Middle East is a majority Muslim overall. So calling anything a Muslim ban from there is kind of unfair because you can just tack it on there. They're Muslim majority anyway. The countries are Iran, Iraq, Syria, Sudan, Libya, Yemen, Somalia. That begs the question of why not places like Saudi Arabia. I'm uh, I'm at the Cato Cato at the library, posted January 26th, the guide to Trump's executive order to limit migration for, quote, national security reasons. This is posted by Alex Norriseth. Says, quote, President Trump is expected to sign an executive order shortly to temporarily ban all visas for peoples from the seven countries that I just named. An advanced copy of this order was available earlier this week. The first sentence of his order states that this is to protect the American people from terrorist attacks by foreign nationals admitted to the United States. However, the countries that Trump choose to temporarily ban are not serious terrorism risks. I've compiled a list of foreign-born people who committed or were convicted of attempting to commit a terrorist attack on U.S. soil from 1975 through 2015. Below is a table with a distribution of their countries of origin, figure one. The first seven countries are those to be initially and hopefully temporarily denied visas. During the time period analyzed here, 17 foreign-born folks from these nations were convicted of carrying out or attempting to carry out terrorist attacks on U.S. soil, and they killed zero people. Zero Libyans or Syrians intended to carry out an attack on U.S. soil during this time. His table breakdown goes as follows. Iran, six terrorists, zero murders. 3.9% 3.9% terrorists, 0% murders. Iraq, 2 terrorists, 0 murders, 1.3%, and 0% murders. Libya, 0. Somalia, 2. Sudan, 6. Syria, 0. Yemen, 1. Afghanistan, 3. Algeria, 4. Armenia, 6. Australia, 1. Bangladesh, 2. Bosnia, 1. Croatia, 9. Cuba, 11. Dominican Republic, 1. Egypt, 11. Ethiopia, 1. France, 1. Ghana, 1. 
Guyana, 2. Haiti, 3. India, 2. Japan, 1. Jordan, 4. Kazakhstan, 1. Kosovo, 2. Kuwait, 2. Kyrgyzstan, countries that people can't even pronounce, 2. Lebanon, 4. Macedonia, or Macedonia, <laughs> Macedonia, Macedonia, 3. Mexico, 1. Morocco, 3. Nigeria, 1. Pakistan, 14. Palestine, 5. Saudi Arabia, 19. Some of those aren't even listed in Trump's ban. And the ones that are have been minimal risk. <laughs> this yes. man doesn't sleep. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> but I want to ask you about this ban. I want to ask you about this ban and the protests. Does the ban have anything to do with religion? How did the president decide the seven countries? Uh, I understand the permanent ban on the refugees. Okay. Uh, and, okay, I'll talk to me. Tell you the whole history of it. So right. when he first announced it, he said Muslim ban. He called me up. He said, put a commission together. Show me the right way to do it legally. I put a commission together with Judge Mukasey, with Congressman McCall, Pete King, whole group of other very expert lawyers on this. And what we did was we focused on, instead of religion, danger. The right. air areas of the world that create danger for us, which is a factual basis, not a religious basis. Perfectly legal, perfectly sensible, and that's what the ban is based on. It's not based on you... religion. It's based on places where there are substantial evidence that people are sending terrorists into our country. Well, let me ask you this. When, when you know, I was kind of surprised to see that Saudi Arabia and Pakistan are not on the list. And yet, you know, we know that the uh, San Bernardino attack by Syed Farouk and uh, Malik, uh, uh, I think her name was Tashfi Malik, she was born in Pakistan and then came through Saudi Arabia. So, I mean, wh why were some of those countries okay, well, left I'll, out? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is going through a massive change. I think the kingdom, particularly under the new prince, has a real understanding that we're dealing with a massive radical Islamic terrorist problem. It is not the old Saudi Arabia. This isn't the Saudi Arabia of 2000, 2001, 2002. Yeah, funny, Rudy Giuliani, uh, but it's not a good enough answer for me because we, we've never, ever, ever pointed a finger in that direction thanks to business relations and more specifically oil. All right, now let me uh, go to Reason Magazine and and one of uh one of one of the more likable personalities to me, Matt Welch, who penned an article quote Trump abruptly bans all refugees plus even legal green card holders who hail from seven majority Muslim countries. Now, this is the way I prefer it. I'm going to condemn the news for calling it a Muslim ban. It is Muslim-majority countries, yes. But it's not like he wrote, Oh, by the way, I don't want any Muslims in my country. Don't let Muslims in. So let's not kid ourselves with that. Muslim-majority, absolutely. Let me read you some snippets from this Matt Welch article. 
Okay. Uh, quote, the far-reaching order, which makes which marks a sharp reversal of decades' worth of American policy, also slashed the annual target for the number of refugees accepted to 50,000, down from an original 110,000 for fiscal year 2017 set by Barack Obama, and from the 85,000 refugees accepted in fiscal year 2016. A.K.A., we already have a lot of refugees here right here right now, and yet very few, if any, have ties to recent terrorism here. Uh, the Obama administration consistently admitted around 75,000 refugees per year. Only George W. Bush was stingier over the past 40 years. Refugees from Syria, currently the world's largest producer of that unhappy category of humanity, oh, <laughs> Welch, you are a funny man, are now, bound, are now banned indefinitely from the United States. Last year, Syria was the second largest country of origin for U.S. admitted refugees at 12,500. This year, the target has been 13,000. Meanwhile, every traveler from Syria, Iran, Iraq, Sudan, Libya, Somalia, Yemen, unless given special permission, is now barred from entering the United States for at least the next 90 days. Parenthetical update number one in this article. This now also includes dual nationals who were born in those countries and have since obtained citizenship in any non-U.S. country such as France or Great Britain. Amazingly, the travel ban also applies to legal permanent residents which hold green cards, but not to U.S. citizenship, the Trump administration confirmed. Now, now to finally wrap up all this talk of, of, of quote, Muslim banning, um, I don't want, I don't want to, I need to move on to other subjects. That's how, that's how insane this talk is. Um, I gotta pull it up from my Facebook. So if you bear with me for a moment. By the way, all this sparked off from people being detained because of confusion over these executive orders and such. Um, from Fox News, uh, detained illegally, two New York City Democrats joined hundreds of demonstrators to protest the reported detainment of several foreign nationals at JFK International Airport in Queens, New York, in response to President Trump's executive order. Trump issued a several-month moratorium on accepting refugees from other countries in the Middle East and North Africa and an indefinite ban on Syrian refugees. Uh, let's see. Congresswoman Nadia Velasquez, Democrat from Brooklyn, said Hamid Khalid Darwish... 53, an interpreter for U.S. contractors, was one of several detained illegally by customs officials at the airport. Darwish, who has since been released, and another Iraqi man were held after arriving in the United States, according to the New York Post. Fellow New York rep Gerald Nadler said there are at least 11 other people who had been detained by authorities. The people who are in the air when this order comes out should not suddenly be taken into custody, he said. It makes no sense. Uh, and these were guys that had the, the, the proper documentation to be here. So that's that's part of what sparked it up. Now, uh, now to close it all out and move on to another subject. Justin Amash, representative from... Where is Justin Amash from again? 
Get, just, just bear with me. U.S. Representative for Michigan, District 3, Republican. He posted this on his Facebook and social media the other day. Quote, Many supporters and opponents of President Trump's executive order are conflating the terms immigrant, which encompasses green card holders, non-immigrant, and refugees. It's not lawful to ban immigrants because of nationality, place of birth, or place of residence. This non-discrimination provision comes from a 1965 law uh, that limits the 1952 law that the president cites. It's unlawful it's lawful to ban non-immigrants for almost any reason. There are people who are temporarily visiting the United States like tourists or students. It's lawful to ban refugees for almost any reason, but banning all refugees from particular countries is harsh and unwise. We should still admit well-vetted persons. Understanding these distinctions is important because supporters of President Trump's executive order continue to wrongly insist that the order is lawful and that President Obama did almost the same thing in 2011. And opponents of President Trump's executive order continue to wrongly insist that banning refugees violates the Constitution or the law. President Trump's executive order covers not only refugees but also immigrants and non-immigrants. As noted above, it's not lawful to discriminate in the issuance of an immigrant visa because of the person's nationality, place of birth, or place of residence. President Obama's action, which wasn't disclosed at the time, covered only refugees and therefore did not violate the Constitution or the law, even if one finds it objectionable for other reasons. Executive orders, uh, it's got us all up in arms right now. And, and to think, all during the debates between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and the other 17 Republican people that were running, we were all talking about, oh, the president's a figurehead. Listen to this Congressional Research Service report for Congress, number 95-722-ALPHA. Executive orders and proclamations penned in 1999 by uh, John Contribuce. Quote, the first task is to define executive orders and proclamations. Unfortunately, there is no exact meaning since neither the framers of the Constitution nor Congress defined executive orders or proclamations. However, many commentators have expressed their understanding of such instruments. The most commonly cited description is that prepared by the House Government Operations Committee as follows, quote, Executive orders and proclamations are directives or actions by the President when they are founded on the authority of the President derived from the Constitution or statute, they may have the force and effect of law. In the narrower sense, executive orders and proclamations are written documents denoted as such. Executive orders are generally directed to and govern actions by government officials and agencies. They usually affect private individuals only indirectly. Proclamations in most instances affect primarily the activities of private individuals. Since the president has no power or authority over individual citizens and their rights except where he is granted such power and authority by a provision in the Constitution or by statute. The president's proclamations are not legally binding and are, at best, 
hortatory, unless based on such grants of authority. The difference between executive orders and proclamations is more one of form than of substance. That is uh, quoting the Staff of House Committee on Government Operations, 85th Congress, First Session, Executive Orders and Proclamations, a study of a use of presidential powers. Now, Contrabus goes on to state, quote, and as executive orders and proclamations are not defined in the Constitution, there is also no specific provision in the Constitution authorizing the president to issue executive orders and proclamations. However, the fact remains that presidents have been issuing them since the inception of the republic. Often presidents have relied upon Article 2 of the Constitution as the sole basis for issuing executive orders and proclamations. For present purposes, Article 2 states that the executive it states that, quote, the executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States. The president shall be commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy of the United States. He shall take care that, laws, that the laws be faithfully executed, end quote. The president's ability to issue executive orders and proclamations is also derived from express or implied statutory authority from Congress. The ambiguity behind executive orders and proclamations poses a great concern for Congress and the public. At issue is the possibility that these presidential instruments may directly or indirectly affect the substantive rights, duties, or obligations of persons outside the government. As a consequence, since executive orders and proclamations are a species of executive legislation, they have important constitutional implications, particularly with respect to the separation of powers. Furthermore, these instruments, if issued under a valid claim of authority and published, have the force and effect of law, and courts are required to take judicial notice of their existence. Thus, is it, thus it is important to examine the legal basis for each executive order and proclamation issued and the manner in which the president has used these instruments. I am still, to this day, trying to wrap my head around how this works. Because my understanding was we were a constitutional republic. Yet, seemingly, it would seem that that is well, not the case. Not with these executive orders. That sounds like something uh, out of the playbook of a, of a king. Almost. Now, just just to highlight the executive orders and, and how long they've been around, they're not lying. Uh, from this same report from the Congressional Research, uh, they have from George Washington listed all the way down to Clinton at the time, 1999. Uh, and the executive orders uh, kind of flow as follows. Uh, Washington himself issued eight, and he had eight years in office. Uh, that was one per year. Uh, all the way, all the way down. You don't see these numbers increasing until about uh, President Grant. Uh, he had 217. Other standouts include uh, Teddy Roosevelt at 1,081, uh, President Wilson 1,803, Coolidge, Calvin Coolidge, the quote "do nothing" president, uh, 1,203 executive orders. 
Franklin D. Roosevelt takes the cake at uh, 3,522 executive orders. Reagan had 409. Clinton had 281. These are just these are just things that presidents have signed. Of course, they have to cite supposedly where their authority comes from on it, but they can just sign it and it can be law. That doesn't sound a very American way at all. At at the core root of it. And I'm sure if we dug up and and really dived into this, this report is very interesting and I pl- I intend to read more of it. Uh, I'm not done talking about executive orders. I intended this episode to be about executive orders and executive orders and presidential memorandums, and it, it, it's a big ball of confusing, and it's going to take a while to decipher that and put out an episode on that. And I intend, from the minute I post this up, all the way throughout the rest of this week, to focus on executive orders researching them more, trying to find more information for you guys, I'm starting to pay attention to what representatives are saying now because, honestly, I no, I don't approve. Anybody that's approving uh, Donald Trump's executive orders right now are among the same group of people who are saying that President Obama was uh, in a gross abuse of using executive orders when the matter of the fact is, is that executive orders in and of themselves are apparently a very muddy subject. A very muddy subject that has little regulation to it, it would seem. And that's problematic. That's very problematic in the way that we were set up to be. Does anybody else believe that? Am I am I the only one sitting here going... This is kind of madness on, on all angles of it. Because I, I didn't like executive orders when Obama was signing them. I, I don't like executive orders now that Trump's signing them. I mean, I, I read some of the executive orders, and I don't disagree with some of the things that are popping up in them. For instance, border security might not you know be a bad idea in theory. Uh, building a wall, to me, is kind of arbitrary for border security, though. And the worst offense of, of illegal immigration and the reason why it still persists is that we have incentivized illegal immigration to a degree. You know, I believe combating illegal immigration isn't building a wall. I believe it's simply cracking down on illegal immigration. Something that, you know, unfortunately, I would have to say Obama started doing. Obama deported more illegal immigrants than pretty much anybody. All right, so Donald Trump wants to deport two to three million undocumented immigrants with criminal backgrounds. And into the streets, protesters flow. Okay, but where have those protesters been over the past eight years? Because according to the Pew Research data analysis that was released in August, get this, the Obama administration has deported an unprecedented 2.4 million illegal immigrants between 2009 when he took office and 2014, that was the last year data was available. So with two years left on his term, Obama had already deported well above Trump's minimum estimate of two million undocumented immigrants. Now, let's go a little further on this, because if you take the numbers from 2014 alone, it's over 414,000 immigrants who were deported. It's not even his highest year. But if we assume that 2015 and 2016 will match 2014's number, then we can reasonably estimate that over the course of his term, President Obama will have deported at least 
3.2 million people by the end of this year. So how many people is that? Well, according to governmental data, the Obama administration has deported more people than any other president's administration in history. In fact, they have deported more than the sum of all the presidents of the 20th century. So just let that sink in for a minute. Of course, right now we're not talking about cracking down on illegal immigration because uh, at the end of the day, I think most people aren't really arguing over illegal immigration. They're arguing over all the other aspects. And the, unfortunately, everybody's doing it emotionally, not objectively. And, and that includes on both sides. You're getting emotional arguments from, from those who are legitimately scared of terrorism. It's real easy to promote fear with terrorism. Because it's the unknown. And it's radical. And, it, and it's scary. It is. It's scary. And at the same token, it's, it's rather easy to say that America has to be the beacon, the, the, the standard bearer, and has to do its part. And it's real easy to point fingers and point blame and, and, and say it's Republicans or say it's Democrats or, or call, call the lefties snowflakes and, and call the righties fascists. fascists. Uh, it, it really is easy to get caught up in all of this, and I think I think people are losing sight. We're losing the battle overall right now, uh, just by vehemently arguing against each other as we are. We are constantly right now at each other's throats, and everybody's lost sight of the bigger picture. In my mind, that's my take on this: is that everybody's lost sight of the bigger picture here this is why I'm for a, a more limited severely restricted government based on the constitution because then maybe we wouldn't be in this big old mess So I've got more about executive orders, presidential memorandums coming along the way. Uh, Donald Trump, even this morning, is signing more executive orders, pushing through more, despite the fact... And here's the thing, everybody. You're talking about the Republicans, the Republicans, not Justin, Justin Amash. I, re I read you his statement. Not every Republican is solidly, is solidly behind President Donald Trump. And President Donald Trump now faces a very divided nation that is increasingly dividing more by the day. So needless to say, it's going to be a crazy four years for sure because it's, it hasn't even been one full month yet. That's why it's going to be crazy. With that being said, I'm a little talked out. I, I can't believe I'm saying that. I'm a little talked out. Uh, I've had a pretty busy week. I did that Friday episode. Now I have to plot and do an episode on this executive orders business uh, even more so than I have been. Um, which is really crazy. <laughs> Really crazy. And I have a, another jam-packed week coming up for the next couple of weeks. Uh, so I, I'm definitely not uh, not a lackadaisical 
lackadaisical individual right now. I've got uh, my time spread out amongst uh, a dozen different things. So, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be that. So, with that being said, can I get outro music, please? That'll do it for me for this week. I want you guys to get on social media, like, share, pass this around, leave your comments. It's at FritzQS on the Twitter. The FritzCast Facebook page at Facebook.com slash the FritzCast. FritzCastPodcast.com or at gmail.com for the email. I will see you guys next week. I hope to interact with you more. Crazy, crazy week.